sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish and Joe Pizzapia getting you ready for yet another week in the NFL fantasy season the final week for a lot of you as week 13 is now upon us coming up on sunday lots of college football to get into and discuss and of course college basketball taking the i would say the pendulum right now with that great game last night between kansas and kentucky and of course let's take a look at tonight's highlights which would include tonight's usc uconn game tonight that headlines college basketball of course we have two college football games tonight louisiana tech taking on north texas and then air force taking on utah state it's been a rough season for the aggies for sure but those are the two primary games in college football this evening the big story in college football today is coastal carolina they have a backup plan for saturday essentially that is taking on BYU as it doesn't look like Liberty is going to be able to play them and of course that will pit two undefeated teams playing against each other this season Coastal Carolina in the top 25 under Hugh Freeze and BYU trying to jump into that final four doesn't look likely but at least they'll get an opponent to play and then LSU takes on Alabama on Saturday night normally this is the game of the year in college football but Joe not going to be the case this year or at least on paper as they, they are the largest underdog ever for a defending national champion. Would you like to take wow. a, a role or a guess <laughs> at what that line may be against Alabama? Uh, gosh, is it 12 and a half? It would be 30. 30, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how embarrassing it's gotten. Wow, it's 30? Wow, that is crazy. crazy. 29, wow. maybe? Let me, you know what? Let me double check that. I, well, uh, does it matter? 29. Once we go over 20, yeah. does it matter? I don't know. Uh, look, I, I'll say this. The, you know, when you lose 14 players year over year to the NFL draft, uh, you know, it takes its toll. Now, it takes its toll on some programs we've seen more than others. But I would imagine that the freshman class they just brought in, recruiting off of last year's national championship has probably got a lot of talent in it. So I would expect LSU to be better in the next year or so, but there's no doubt about it. LSU has been a, a huge disappointment this year and uh, we've seen this happen before, but it's, it's stunning. I think it really kind of brings it back to how good of a job Alabama's done and how good of a job some other programs have do when they, when they Clemson, for instance, when you lose so many players every year, in the NFL draft and every year you're right back there. It's not as easy as it looks, is it? <laughs> when you go back and you have a little perspective now, and LSU seeing that right now firsthand, saying, wow, we lost a lot of players to the NFL. We dominated last year, and I understand they had a lot of seniors last year and some older guys last year and all that. And, and look, this happens sometimes with organizations, and, and this happens obviously with college football teams too. They, you know, Sometimes there's just turnover, and it feels like one of those turnovers. But I would imagine, based off of what they did last year and how dominant they were, that there were a lot of great young prospects who wanted to go to LSU and have signed in LSU and are going to be part of LSU for the next two years. So is this just a matter of that's all this is? Or is this a matter of maybe this was a, I don't know, a crazy one-off where everything just fell right for LSU last year? Well, look, it's, it's a couple of things in play. First of all, you're right in one sense that when you win a championship that you should be able to pull in a top three recruiting class, which they did, so there's good news for them in the future. But LSU is in that same category of Alabama, of Florida, of Georgia, and then even outside the conference, we could say Ohio State and Clemson, in, in with the notion that it doesn't matter who's on LSU, they're supposed to be a lot better than they are. 
And that's the difference is that uh, as we welcome in our radio audience, Alabama, you're right, never has a down year, but that's what puts them at the top of all is college football. Uh, the Gators are not allowed to have a bad year, and when they do, they fire the coach. When Ohio <laughs> State is bad, which is almost never, then then someone is going to get fired. Uh, so <laughs> Ed Orgeron's in some trouble. There's, there's no doubt that he is in some trouble. LSU is allowed to lose two or three games. They're not allowed to be under 500 and 30-point favorites to uh, to Alabama and and the SEC is a different a, t- a different beast entirely, and and the same could be said for Auburn in general. You know, you get a two or three year period. If you're not good, you're gone. Now Orgeron will be able to live off that championship, I would think, into next year. <clears throat> but sure. make no mistake about it, if LSU is a disaster next year, uh, he's going to be gone, and and they're going to wow. bring in a new. Co- it doesn't make a difference. I mean, Les Miles mm-hmm. won. At Auburn, I'm sorry, at LSU, unless Miles was gone. So mm-hmm. uh, that's the SEC. If you don't win, you're you're done. And and I think that it's a combination of a couple of things that you mentioned. But most importantly, you do not get to be bad at LSU. You don't. No, you don't. I you're don't. not afforded that luxury there. Mm-hmm. And once you are, you're gone. So it has been a massively disappointing season for them. And it could be made up on Saturday if they play competitive. And maybe give Alabama mm-hmm. a game, but there's been no reason to indicate that could be possible. Or Jerron yelling at his right. quarterback as he's coming off the field last week. So I don't, I don't see that happening. Now they could cover. I mean, thirty points is a lot. I mean, Joe, there you go. I just gave you, I just gave you seventeen points on Saturday night. You should run to the FanDuel Sportsbook <laughs> and take and you take LSU. Oh, it, it, it's. I mean, that's embarrassing though that you're the defending national champion and you are thirty point underdogs in a game. That's a that's an embarrassment, and it should be an embarrassment. I mean, you're right. You should be better than this, even if it's a transitional year, even if it's a down year, even if it's a year where you're losing a lot of players to the NFL. I think there's a level of disappointment, and then there's where LSU is right now, and it's embarrassing. And I don't think embarrassing lasts very long, no matter how recent you won a national championship. I think you're probably spot on with that. I, like I said, though, I, I'm still optimistic that whoever they were able to bring in that recruiting class is able to hopefully right the ship next year. But I guess we shall see. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, think about Oklahoma. They lost. They lost the Heisman Trophy winner right. quarterback back to back years. <clears throat> you know, mm-hmm. Still okay, you know. It's, and and this is mm-hmm. this is this is dismal with what they're with right. what they're doing. But uh, SEC, you got You got to bring in the win, or you're gone, no doubt. All right, uh, some NBA discussion, some fun discussion next. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. It is Craig Mish and Joe Pizapia here with you on the show. You know, Russell Westbrook is now headed to his third team. I, I think that most people felt like Houston was going to be a long-term destination for him when that trade was made, kind of had been through it a little bit with Oklahoma City. But that mm-hmm. did not last long with him and James Harden, and I feel like either they're breaking up Houston or, simply put, getting rid of Westbrook. Now, Westbrook mm-hmm. is going to go down as a, a Hall of Famer. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. You don't average a triple-double in the NBA and not get into right. the Hall of Fame. <clears throat> but unfortunately for him, uh, it looks like a potential championship is going to have to be won with him not being the focal point, because I don't seriously see that happening in Washington, although he could be 
the primary score there as well. Now, John Wall's headed to a different situation. We're not entirely sure what's going to happen there. But for a fun exercise, I thought it would be fun. And it's not necessarily poking fun at Russell Westbrook because I don't think he's at the end of his career. But I certainly think that there is a chance that his tenure in Washington could be brief and may not be very memorable to go through some of the things that have happened with great players and Hall of Famers who ended up on teams that we may not even remember. And Joe, I know that there are going to be some players that we're going to talk about here that people may be <laughs> looking at for the first time in a while going, wow, I don't even remember him playing for that team. Yeah, well, I mean, this first one I do remember, but I got to tell you, there's one on this where I saw and I went, when did that happen? I don't have any recollection of that whatsoever. And it's always weird to see a guy also finish out his career somewhere else. I mean, even for Michael Jordan, when he was in a Wizards jersey, I don't know about you, but right. there's something was just not right about that at all. And I'm just very glad that there's certain players we never had to see another jersey. I mean, it's it's actually not weird seeing Tom Brady in another jersey. I always knew that was going to happen. To me, that was always a foregone conclusion, just like Montana, just like, you know, Peyton Manning, you know, the great all the great quarterbacks for the most part, Brett Favre, all ended up somewhere else at the end. Maybe Aaron Rodgers will too. We shall see. But it's very rare you start and end your career in the same spot. I'm glad we never saw Derek Jeter anywhere else. That would have been very, very strange. I mean, could you imagine Derek Jeter in a Padres uniform? No, it would have made no. It would have been the weirdest thing ever. Totally ridiculous, absurd. Mariano yeah. Rivera, another one. You know, but it's something that, you know, it becomes this, you know, end of career kind of thing. But this first guy, he played in a few different spots and was pretty successful. But this last one, not so much. <laughs> yeah, and, and even here in South Florida, Dan Marino is one that comes up a lot because the Vikings actually right. offered him a contract and, and mm -hmm. he ended up retiring. But the NBA in particular, over all of the other sports, baseball included, it's almost impossible to not play that final year yeah. because you're being offered so much money and you know that you're not going to have a huge impact, but you're getting 8 to $10 million to just come off the bench. I mean, who, who could turn that down? And for Shaquille O'Neal... That's what he did in his final season. And, folks, he played with the Boston Celtics. I mean, I don't even know that a lot of people remember this, but he went all around the NBA over his last few years. Shaq went, of course, from the Lakers to the Heat to the Suns to the Cavs and then ended up with Boston, Joe. And, and I know that you are, I believe, a Celtics fan, if I'm not mistaken, so maybe you remember this one. But he, in 37 games, he averaged nine points a game. He was honestly just a shell of what he was. You could make the case that in Phoenix and Cleveland, he was still a pretty good player. But Shaq ended up wearing, I believe, number 36 with Boston to end his career. And when it's all said and done, I don't think that it will be memorable at all to anyone. And, and one of the most iconic franchises in sports, he played for them both, Lakers and Celtics. I know. Yeah, not a lot of guys can say that they did that, but Shaq can. And I remember what I remember most about this, and I'm not a Celtics fan. I actually have no NBA allegiance. Despite growing oh, okay. up in the New York well, area, I never became one. a Knicks fan. I, I loved Michael Jordan. I was more a Michael Jordan fan, and I used to watch the Bulls and root for them. But I never had a never had an allegiance to an actual NBA team for some reason. I don't know why. I just never took. But I remember also Shaq being grossly not in shape when he was a Celtic. And that was kind of the one thing that stuck out is he would get on the court and you go, oh, Shaq, Shaq does not look good. Shaq does not look healthy. Like he is ready to play eight minutes or five minutes or maybe even three minutes. But he was there. And like you said, you know, getting paid $8 million, that's, you know, a million dollars a minute some nights. That's a that's good coin if you can make it. I'll take that one any day. Yeah, the phenomenon of him coming to Miami 
was just so incredible and they ended up winning sure. a championship there and it ended as poorly as it was great where he just basically like forced his way out went to phoenix was pretty good with phoenix too but it was oh, like he right. just pushing his way out of wherever he was nothing, going nothing ends well for him i mean his his tenure with the orlando magic didn't end well a tenure with it la I mean, well. I mean how no. How many guys end well? I mean, it just doesn't happen. It's very, it's a weird set of circumstances. Uh, and he's one of my favorites of all time. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, Shaq. he was always, was when, when covering him, he was so nice to me. Like, I, I always was a big mm-hmm. fan of his. And to hear, like, the stories that were going on at the end of his tenure with the Heat about, like, choking Pat Riley, and, and then he threw a player under the bus at the end, too, and the, and, the, and the staff. And the Heat were horrible the year that he left. Like, I mean, Wade was hurt that year. It just was a complete disaster. But right. to see him play for the Celtics at the end, and you're right, he just looked like a, a no, big dude. Not good shape. <laughs> he didn't look like he could play very much. Yeah. I, no. And a guy like that big in the paint, you're going to average 15 points a game just by closing your eyes. He only averaged nine points a game. But speaking of which, it uh, doesn't get any weirder. You're talking about Westbrook going to Washington. How about Patrick Ewing playing with the Orlando Magic in his final season? Yes, he did. This is true. In 2001... Ewing had a swan song of 65 games, ended up getting six points per game with the uh, yeah, yeah with the Orlando Magic, Joe. And, and look, Ewing went on to be a coach and, and had one of the best careers ever to wear a New York Knicks uniform for sure. But in terms of bizarre, there's no doubt that this one goes up there mm-hmm. with, with, some, with some of the others in the NBA. Yeah, well, being from this area, I remember this one very well also. And I remember people just saying, hey, look, you know, it was just it was time to move on for Patrick. It was time to move on for the Knicks. And, you know, this is what happens sometimes. And the guy wasn't ready. And sometimes the players aren't ready to hang it up. And sometimes people want a new challenge, too. And, you know, I think people also forget how dominant of a college player Patrick Ewing was. He was so dominant of a college player that they basically built the Big East off of his back. I mean, you know, I know it's not what it used to be. But in the 80s, the Big East was college basketball. I mean, that was where all of the great talent was. And, and it was an incredible uh, grouping of guys there and, and a lot of local talent there also. And some of these iconic head coaches, too, these guys that really did build this entire conference, which is the brainchild of one man. And was able to create this Big East conference in basketball. And Patrick Ewing was the star of it. And some of those Georgetown battles that he had with different teams in that Big East were just incredible. And it's unfortunate that, you know, Patrick never got that ring, you know, obviously at the NBA level. But you can say that about a lot yeah. of guys, a lot of the great NBA players during that Jordan era. It was just like you had that window and then Akeem took that window when it was open and then everybody else was out of luck. Yep. If I'm not mistaken, Reggie Miller almost took a contract away from Indiana, I think, with someone, but didn't end up doing it. Um, But yes, uh, a lot of strange endings to NBA careers. Here's another one. Uh, Tony Parker, who played his entire career with the San Antonio Spurs, first ballot Hall of Famer, didn't need to play his final season, and then teamed up with Brett Levy and joined the Charlotte Hornets in 2018. And uh, what a shell of a guy he was with with the with Charlotte. He didn't start a single game. Came off the bench, only played in fifty six games, and his scoring average went down. And he wasn't always a huge scorer, but he went under ten points per game, and then hung it up after that. I don't think anybody remembers Joe that Tony Parker, lifelong Spur, is going to have to add on his bust one season with Charlotte Hornets. Right? Like so weird. No, I, I got to be honest. I don't remember this one, and I don't remember the next one you had on the list either at all. Like the Olajuwon one, you got to bring this yeah. one up because I just want to see it. I just want to see it physically holding up that jersey because I have zero recollection of this. 
Yeah, well, Lenny Wilkins, I believe, went to coach the Raptors and brought Hakeem Olajuwon with him. And uh, and Hakeem was, I mean, of all the ones of, of players, I would say, not playing poorly, but showing the most that they were finished, it was, it was Hakeem in his last year. It was really bad. He averaged seven points a game in 61 games with the Toronto Raptors. You're talking about top three, maybe player all time, at a big man in the NBA. Sure. And, uh, yeah, Joe, he played with the Raptors to end his career. Yeah. After Houston. Zero recollection of that. I needed to see the jersey. I needed to see the whole thing because I don't recall that at all. But, look, you know, sometimes nobody wants to ride off into the sunset necessarily. <laughs> you know, some guys need that one more leg, and it's not always the prettiest look. Right. Well, the question is, will that be John Wall in Houston? Mm. Will we be there with Westbrook in a couple of years? Who knows? We'll be back with more fantasy sports today. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. All right, welcome back. Well, while Joe was watching football uh, in front of his beautiful Christmas tree, eating a big pile of lasagna, I was looking at the Major League Baseball non-tender deadline yesterday. That's what dominated me in covering the Marlins, trying to follow that all day long. Now, here's here's before we get into the names here, my, my takeaway from the day, honestly, was this was not nearly what most predicted. Most predicted okay. this was going to be like complete and total carnage, and we were going to have like a second wave of free agency where there was going to be like – you know, hundreds of dudes out there or could make up Major League Baseball teams. That did not turn out to be the case. Now, there are some interesting names here, Joe, but at least from my perspective, this didn't turn out to be, oh, teams are so poor, they can't pay their guys. It started off looking like that, right, with Eddie Rosario, like, oh, mm -hmm. my gosh, if he's out there, there's going to be a million guys. But I, I don't I didn't find that to be the case yesterday. I, I think teams are in good shape. Yeah, well, and Rosario was, as we mentioned yesterday on the program, I think more of a, an organizational choice of trying to open up some playing time for some of the big prospects that Minnesota's had for a while now sitting there. And I think you might have seen them last year if it was 162-game season. I really do believe that you would have seen Kirilov and you would have seen Larnik and some of those guys this past season. But because of the shortened season, you didn't get that. It was just a sprint to see if you can get in the playoffs, and they did. And now they're going to see if they can go and open things up here. And, and that makes sense. But you're right. I don't think this was nearly the bloodbath that I felt like you were preparing me for. I was prepared. I was ready. And then I saw it. And I went, okay, one or two, maybe three names that I was kind of like, okay, that's surprising. But overall, it's kind of okay. You kind of understood why. Yeah, not as bad. And, and I guess the picture was being painted nationally. And I, I suppose I bought into that without not doing my own due diligence. But um, but either way, uh, here's the list of the non-tender team, the all non-tender team to a degree. And and it, and it look, there are some good names here for sure. And so it's going to keep it interesting. And, and these names added to the free agent pool for sure. And Kyle Schwarber, I think, leads them off. He's the most popular player here. I don't know that he's the best, but uh, the, the Cubs basically look like they are in rebuild mode. I don't think that they want to admit that, but as the winter goes on, I think that's where they're headed. So for Schwarber, it's an American League team 
or nowhere moving forward because he's not playing the field anymore. That's going to be it. Or, uh, or David Dahl, DH, if you get that, if you get nationally DH, internationally DH, DH, that could be, that could be. Okay. Uh, David Dahl was, was, had a, just a horrific 60 game season with the Rockies. Mm-hmm. Once upon a time, he was a fantasy darling of a lot of people who couldn't stay on the field. And so we're going to get into him more in a minute. Eddie Rosario of the Twins will will quickly get a contract with someone. It just won't be $10 million. It'll be two years for $10 million, probably, as a guess. Archie Bradley, a bit of a surprise. We'll talk about him. Could be the best reliever that was let go yesterday. Hanser Alberto is a very capable infielder that will have no problem getting work. The Orioles just, again, uh, getting rid of, you know, starting over and just dismissing anyone that has a contract. They've done that now with Nunez. They're doing with Alberto. Tony Walters will get a contract with someone to be a catcher. And then Travis Shaw, I'm not sure what he's going to do because he didn't look great with the Blue Jays. I thought he'd get a nice second opportunity. But whatever he was doing in, in Milwaukee, it just uh, hasn't transitioned either two years right. ago or even this past year. So, Joe, let, let's talk about David Dahl here for a minute because mm-hmm. – I'm sort of feeling like from a fantasy perspective, and I know that you're doing your research on this now, there could be a bounce back from the year that he had last year, but I think the shine is now completely off. He's an injury-prone player that isn't playing at cores. So this is isn't it like all about destination for him at this point? Well, I think his destination in cores is the one thing that's been keeping him alive all these years. It's the one thing people would put up with, the fact that a guy who missed such significant time every single year but because he played in cores, there was always that that tantalizing moment of, oh, you know, if we could just get him healthy, he could be really productive. And I got the career splits here for you, too. You know, at Coors Field, he had 318 with a 361 OBP and uh, a slugging percentage over 500, the OPS over 900. Away from Coors for his career, 248 batting average, 302 on base, 420 slugging, and just a 722 OPS. Now, that's not very good. Now, I will caution people and say, DJ LeMayu also had terrible splits. Not quite this bad, but certainly pretty bad. And he ended up having career years with somebody else in a great spot. So, yeah, to a certain extent, it does kind of matter where David Dahl ends up. But, you know, all of a sudden, I think this is definitely going to take a lot of the bloom off this rose where people would put up with a guy because it was the course field factor and they're willing, especially in season long. You know, if you get it 300 over 18 games, excuse me, 81 games, that really helps me in, in overall roto leagues and things like that. And people were willing to deal with the injuries in head to head weekly points leagues. This guy was a killer because he would be missing time. He would be you know, getting hurt on a Wednesday and you wouldn't have him the rest of the week in your lineup and all this kind of stuff. But people put up with him time and time again, simply because of where he played. So now I think that's going to really change significantly. I think going into 2021, and I would imagine he will end up somewhere, but right now, I mean, he's the only kind of guy that I would draft as a bench outfielder. I wouldn't draft him as a starter. I I think it's really difficult to, to say that because when you look at the road splits, when you look at the time that he's been off the field because of injuries, it's just a terrible combination. It makes him a really bad investment. If you can get him for a buck or two in an auction draft, okay, maybe you hit pay dirt. Maybe, you know, we've seen guys like Corey Dickerson play better than we anticipated outside of course. DJ LeMahieu, maybe Dahl will be that guy, but I don't think it's a really good investment to assume that he can be. And I think that's where the, the danger factor kind of settles in. Yeah, and, and pretty cheap for the Rockies to just let him go completely and tells you what they think about him. It'll be actually more interesting to see who the Rockies replace him with. Remember, they had Matt Kemp rolling out there last year. So they're going to have a bona fide new outfield in 2021. So I'll be curious to see who they sign because from a fantasy perspective, whoever they end up having has value going into the year. 
Now, one of the more maybe peculiar ones was Archie Bradley, who was let go by the, the Cincinnati Reds. He went over from Arizona to Cincinnati at the end of the season last year and was fantastic with the Reds in the seventh inning and the eighth inning. His ERA was 1.17. He hasn't been like the prototypical closer, I would say, but his overall numbers were very good last year. He was in line to make a pretty significant raise, Joe, because of how good he was last year and because of how good he's been in the past. And I suppose from Cincinnati's perspective, when they look at it, they already have Iglesias in the ninth inning, and maybe they feel like they could get 60% of an Archie Bradley for you know 20% of the price. Uh, but I do think Bradley will probably get a one-year deal with someone, maybe in the 4 or $5 million range. Someone will take that shot. Uh, and, and his fantasy value is going to just be simply tied to if he gets to a place where he's either the closer or he's the eighth inning guy in a place where the closer isn't really viable going into the season. But I suppose this is a little bit of a surprise for a team that you would think they want to win and you put Bradley in the eighth, Iglesias in the ninth, and that's a great bridge there. Mm -hmm. Or maybe Cincinnati, Joe, is doing something that we don't know, which would mean talking to Bradley right now, seeing if they could bring him back at a lower price, if that would have been the case. I think it would have been done. So I think he's probably gone. Yeah, this was the surprising one for me because he did pitch well for the Reds and also because I don't anticipate the Reds being able to keep Trevor Bauer. So that means you got to build some strikes somewhere in this rotation. You want to do it in the bullpen. That's what you want to do with this pitching staff right now. You want to... You want to build it with guys like Archie Bradley, where you can start to shorten games a little bit because you're going to be down to Castillo. You're going to be down to Gray. Those are your top two starters. Uh, you know, you do have some talent in that bullpen. There's no doubt about that. And Iglesias has been, I think, a guy that you've seen over the last few years has been pretty consistent. You know, he hasn't always been perfect, but he's been consistent. He takes the ball and he's he's been their guy for, what, four years now at least. So I think there's a little Longer, bit of steadiness yeah. to him. Which is pretty impressive when you think about it. I mean, how many closers, you know, keep a job for four or five years in the big leagues? Not many. And to add Bradley along to him, I think was a no-brainer. I thought this was a really good move when the Reds did it. Unfortunately, the postseason didn't work out for the Reds very well. But when you're losing Trevor Bauer, this is kind of curious to me because I don't know where they're going next to fill that void. So if you can't be good in the rotation, well, then at least be good in the bullpen, at least kind of fight there. And I don't know, Craig, this was this was of all the non-tenders, the most puzzling one to me. Yeah, and I think it's hard to know what the clubs are thinking. They may you know, have a trade being on the verge of a trade and getting someone. Uh, look, Bradley has been pretty solid everywhere that he's gone. But I don't know that any team is going to give in 2021 given the nature of the finances and not knowing how many games and what's going to happen can you commit let's say five million dollars or four million dollars to a guy to pitch in the eighth and and it's and and maybe the yankees can joe and the dodgers can right and true and i think that we we could go there right now with Corey knievel right like like he got let go mm -hmm. and immediately the dodgers are like oh Corey knievel yes <laughs> we'll take him immediately <laughs> right and, and look based on the way that jansen looked at the end of the year they're stacking that bullpen very nicely. I think Knievel's a great ad for them, and 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 that's a team that can afford it. And if it doesn't work out, what did they do? They gave away $5 million. Big deal. Can the Reds do that? I'm not so sure, and I think that's probably why. Yeah, but look, also you're letting go of a guy who has closer experience too. If Iglesias does get injured, or all of a sudden if this is the year where he isn't as good, and that, that insurance policy means something too. So I just think this is a strange one. We'll see if they get back together, but it doesn't look like it. Yeah, no, I'm 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 pretty sure that that's going to be the end of it. And I'll life. tell you what, too, uh, you know, we do, do we have time to talk about Kyle Schwarber real quick too? Because that's another one. I think so. Uh, I think a guy a because, yeah. because Kyle Schwarber, you know, 
two years ago, you know, 2019, 38 home runs, 92 RBI, right? For Kyle Schwarber. Last year, he had a buck 88. And I know his bugaboo for years has been, well, he can't hit left-handed pitching. Well, last year, he didn't hit right-handed pitching or left-handed pitching. Last year, he didn't hit anything. So I don't know what's going on with that guy, if there was some kind of oddity. And, and you're right, you know, he's probably just relegated to DH duty at this point in his career anyway. He came up as a catcher, and everybody was so high on Kyle Schwarber. Remember, Kyle Schwarber was the can't-miss next big power hitter guy, and it took him all this time till 2019 from the Cubs World Series win in 2016. It took him for three years to become that guy, and now he's non-tendered. I mean, I don't know. Chicago looks like they might be in a just complete and full rebuild, and this might be that next signal towards, like, this is going to be a very different Chicago Cubs team next year. And and, and it should be. I'm disappointed that they didn't win as much as they should have. I, I think they had enough talent to win a little bit more under Joe Madden. But at this point, it wouldn't surprise me to see them start over. And, and I think, honestly, after four or five years, it's it's probably the right move for them. Okay, coming up next, it's time for a little fantasy or reality, so make sure you stay on the grid. Also, don't forget, in-game live, coming up a little bit later, all the college basketball news information helping you win in sports wagering. We'll be right back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back, Fantasy Sports Today. Before we kick it to a little fantasy reality, I know Joe coming up this Sunday one of the biggest weeks for a fantasy game day here on sports grid, because you and your crew got to help people get into the fantasy football playoffs for a lot of people, given the nature of this wacky season, when they're looking at their record, you know what they're looking at. They're seven and five, they're six and Mm -hmm. six, they're six and seven. There aren't a lot of 10 and twos out there in fantasy football this season. So this is a big week. What do you guys have in store? No, oh, you, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, in flex league in the championship right now, there is well not the championship, but right now in, in flex leagues, there's one still undefeated team. Mike Randall is still undefeated after all these weeks somehow, and all of us are you know basically hovering around 500 collectively because it's been that kind of a difficult season. So if you're still fighting for it, we're fighting for you, and it's okay because on game day, even if you're playing DFS, we got you covered too. And last week was a great week. We talked about. Pairing up Chubb and Henry, we crushed that. We talked about Mahomes and Hill paying up for them, and it was like the first time all year that we really were out there trumpeting that. So if you want to get all that information, make sure you stick with us because this week's slate is very complicated. It's not nearly as fun and easy as last week was, so we're really getting down and dirty in this one. So check us out on SportsGrid, 8 a.m. Eastern Fantasy Game Day. Matt Stryker, Eric Young will be back with us. He's back from his RV trip because he's Canadian. He doesn't really celebrate Thanksgiving, so he just took some vacation, right? He gets two Thanksgivings. He gets Canadian Thanksgiving and regular one-off. What kind of nonsense is that? Just because he's a big star? Oh, yeah, and me too, and we'll all be talking uh, fantasy football. So 8 a.m. Eastern right here on SportsGrid, Fantasy Game Day. All right, coming up Sunday. Let's get into fantasy reality as we end this Thursday, and we'll start off going back to Major League Baseball and go to the fresh new Los Angeles Dodger, who is going to probably have an opportunity to do big things. The question is, will he? Corey Knable, who was signed by the Dodgers after he was non-tendered by the Milwaukee Brewers, will be the primary closer for the Dodgers in 2020. Joe, is this fantasy or reality? 
I think it's fantasy. I, I feel like in the last three years, we've been trying to replace Kenley Jansen, and he keeps kind of hanging around. He keeps kind of keeping this job despite some ups and downs. But I feel like this is the Los Angeles Dodgers MO. What they do is they take a guy who once upon a time had a good year closing out games, then got hurt, came back, wasn't very good. And if you look at what they did last year in the bullpen, they did the same thing. They say, let's get a couple of these guys and see if maybe one of them hits because there is nothing more volatile than relief pitching in Major League Baseball. Every year you get a guy who comes out of nowhere, looks great, then the next year is terrible. Or a guy who comes out of nowhere, looks great, gets 30-something saves, gets hurt. We never hear from him again. It is such a crazy carousel of all these guys and these closers come in and out and once upon a time there was at least that elite tier that level where you felt really good about but really that tier kind of aged out too that tier included guys like kenley jansen who we're just talking about maybe being replaced so i don't know for me i am just waiting as long as i can taking some shots on some relievers getting saves where i can playing the waiver wire because Honestly, it is nuts. And the more you get this closer by committee system everywhere, too, it's even a worse investment of what's going on there. So for me, I don't think Canable's the answer. I mean, maybe they can turn him around, but a six ERA last year, it's not exactly encouraging to kind of give up the job for a guy who's coming off a World Series championship. So I'm going to say fantasy, but then again, when it comes to closers, nothing really surprises me. Yeah, who who is the best closer going into next year? Like, who supposedly is number one? Hater? Uh, it's still Hater. Hater. And this is what's good about relative position value. I just did the RPV for Hater uh, and the relief pitchers last week, and it's just it's just such a clear tier drop off because of the strikeouts, because of the secondary numbers, because of the certainty, and all those things that between him and the next group of guys, it's just it's comical. So once again, you want to reach? Fine. At least you're reaching for somebody that is an advantage. But Craig, I, I got to be honest with you, like in season long Roto, I don't know if it's worth reaching for him. I think in head to head leagues of any kind, it's worth reaching because you're getting that dominance on a weekly basis and he could win you a week and saves or win, you know, really contribute in a short period of time when he has a really great week. But overall, you know, why, why, why spend the draft capital when you can get another really good offensive player or another very important starting pitcher because starting pitcher is so tough. So I don't know. Relief pitching has really changed dramatically from the time I started the black book 10 years ago to now, I can't tell you how different the strategy has really become and, and evolved or devolved for that matter at this particular yeah. position. It's just such a different position than it was 10 years ago. Yeah, it's but but again, it's uh, it, it's a lesson that no one seems to want to learn until they go through it. Um, I mean, listen, uh, Kirby Yates was the number one guy going into last year. Did he get a save last year? I don't even think he did. And that is, just, that's exactly it, the it, point. We can go back and rattle off names for the last three or four years where you see great seasons like Blake Trinan season or Sean Doolittle season. And, the, and, and it's the follow-ups, the lack of follow-up, the lack of consistency. And, and then the also the aptitude for teams to – Say, no, we're just going to make a change. Like, no, we're not going to wait for anybody to get right. Or, you know, some teams will have too long of a leash with certain guys, too. It's it's really stunning what bullpens have become. And and I can't argue the specialization because it's working for teams like, obviously, the Tampa Bay Rays. Like, that specialization in the bullpen has worked wonders for them. But still, I mean, at a certain point, when you're playing fantasy, why are we, why are we spending draft capital on those things when we could just get them off the waiver wire or just throw some late darts and figure it out or make a trade or two. I want to make sure I solidify my offense. I want to make sure I solidify my starting pitching. I am not chasing relievers and I haven't the last two years. And anybody who still is, I think is nuts. Yeah, no, I mean, some people t like to take the two top guys and think that they got that one and it, it just never is the case, but we'll get yeah. into that in February. Let's continue on with some football. <laughs> Trace McSorley 
played a little bit oh, wait, yesterday. Is it fantasy for the reality for you? Wait, wait, wait. You didn't. Oh, I didn't question. even do it. Um, that's right. Yeah. I skipped over it. Yeah, probably fantasy for me too. Uh, okay. Although I do I think there's a sure. bounce back coming. I, I like this player. I, so. I, I think that was a really good move by the Dodgers. I wanted Miami to I go for him. I, I thought that that would be a nice project there because I don't think that he's done. He just hasn't been right, and it was a weird season, and I could see a good bounce back coming from that player. So I would say okay. fantasy, though, I don't think he'll be the primary guy. No. Gotcha. Okay. Now let's move over to the Baltimore Ravens. Sorry about that. Trace McSorley, the backup quarterback to Robert Griffin III, essentially the third-string quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, he played, I don't know, seven minutes of my watching time yesterday, so I'll say based on that, <laughs> Joe, fantasy or reality, he should be the Ravens' backup quarterback is, is there even a choice at this point griffin looked like he was hurt again uh well if you saw the size of the wrap on the leg of yeah, what griffin, i mean i i i was gonna ask you have you ever seen anything like that before it looked like you know like the thing where they do that mummy thing where they just wrap you in toilet paper and stuff like that and they just they just kept going and going it just got bigger and bigger you know you see some guys like you know after a game like the pitcher comes out he's got the huge wrap on the shoulder it was like that yeah. times a hundred it was the craziest thing they were doing it's like what's wrong with robert griffin are they putting him back in, back into his mummy case like what's happening right now to this poor guy um they made a statement here uh on that broadcast yesterday of you know if, if you are going to go in here with lamar jackson you had to know that you have to maintain the similar style quarterback play because you are basically tailoring the offense to lamar jackson and therefore That's you fair. need rg3 quarterbacks to be your backup is you're not going to have the josh mccown you know sit in the pocket kind of backup or a colt mccoy kind of guy that's probably not going to be the case um so mcsorley probably is going to be the backup if they can't find somebody else better next year and i don't know if they can but it's going to be somebody at least like this somebody who can run around a little bit and look for a guy going out there for a couple of minutes against the pittsburgh Steelers at the end of the game it could have been worse i think he brought a good energy level I think I like that he was chirping with some uh, with Minka Fitzpatrick there on the sideline. I think I think that's what you want. You want a guy who's going to come in there and in a backup situation where the team feels deflated, he's going to go out there with some spirit and he's going to run a football a little bit. Had a good timely pass. I mean, look, maybe it's a confidence builder from him. I, I think he's that kind of quarterback or McSorley himself is probably the right answer. So probably going forward, at least next week, he's probably going to be the, the backup quarterback for Lamar. So, yes, it's a reality. Yeah, I think it should be a reality, too. It, Griffin just didn't look good at all. And I, I don't know that McSorley was any good. And he is a different quarterback, for sure. And it does make sense a little what you're saying. If you're running a system, you want to have a system guy. I think that the interesting part for me, and, and COVID aside next year, I, I'm just not sure why teams don't invest a little bit more. And, and And there aren't a lot of good backups out there. So that's the primary problem here. But if I was a team, it wouldn't matter to me if I had Aaron Rodgers or if I had, uh, you know, Jake Luton. I, I would get a good backup on my team in the NFL and pay for that because it is worth it. If you're, I mean, are you just basically resigned in the NFL that if your top guy goes down like Dallas, your season is just over? You and didn't that's used like, to okay? be. I mean, look, look at the, you know the Buffalo Bills back in the day. Where would they have been without Frank Reich, who did a great job? Not not once, but multiple times when Jim Kelly got hurt, taking this team through playoff victories. Uh, where would the Giants have been without Jeff Hostetler? Where would the San Francisco 49ers have been without Jeff Garcia, who started off as a backup quarterback, people forget, and ended up taking the reins and becoming yeah, a why, dude. Why do no backups years. become starters anymore? I, 
weird. It's, it's, you know, that's another big question too, is you don't, that's what you don't see. You don't see that path of the, oh, here's Jeff Garcia. And now he becomes a star in the NFL when given the opportunity. You, you get these guys, either they go right from the college thing and you're bringing in that college quarterback or you're that low end college quarterback and your career backup and nobody can think of anything else. It is very difficult. You look at the landscape of QBs right now in this league, find me the guy. Cause I'm trying to think of one of the top of my head and I can't find me the guy who was a backup quarterback and now has taken over as a starting quarterback in the NFL and has been good for this team because Kirk cousins, maybe that's the only name, but he was kind of a complicated situation too, because he was kind of brought in at yep. a higher level than most in terms of draft capital. So I don't even know if he counts in that same kind of setup that I just threw out there. Yeah, I, I think the only like like if Jacksonville drafts Lawrence or one of the other quarterbacks, if I was another team, I would try to acquire Minshew is what I would do um, and, and have him as the backup. Because I think that if, if your main guy goes down, I think that he could come in and still win some games. And, and honestly, if, if you're Kansas City, like that's what I would do. Like, like prepare for the worst. Why not? You're, if you're the best team in the NFL. And it's just bizarre to me to just be so completely unprepared like Dallas was this year. And they did get Dalton. So I, I suppose it well, is they fair. Thought but... they were, well, I was going to say, they thought they were more prepared than most. In all fairness, it just turns out. Yeah, no, that's true. They got Dalton. They didn't know about the about Prescott signing. So I guess maybe that's a bad example. But uh, maybe Pittsburgh last year is a good example. Maybe Pittsburgh last year is a very good example. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe that. Yeah. All right, let, let's let's close out. Um, and so I'll agree with you there. Let's close out with this. Uh, Urban Meyer was seen in Austin, Texas. Of course, that's where the University of Texas is. Uh, Urban Meyer's now been out of college football for a couple of years. Remember, he left Florida, then he left Ohio State. And now there's some speculation that he's going to get back into the game in 2021. So, Joe, fantasy or reality, Urban Meyer will be a head coach in college football next season. I'm going to say reality. I think there'll be enough job openings and something will pop up there that he is going to find an allure there. And Urban Meyer, whenever he says he's he's done, I never believe him. So I, I don't know, maybe that's just me. <laughs> I just I never have. And if it is Texas, it's far worse landing spots, right? I mean, this is a storied college program. They always yeah. recruit well. They always, you know, have talent. They're always competitive every single year. And you bring in somebody with the cachet of Urban Meyer. And I think that is a great selling point. Look, Texas and Florida, that's, you know, high school football university, right? So if you can capitalize and keep those kids in Texas instead of losing them to other schools in the SEC, well, I think that that would go a long way. So I'm going to say reality. And I think that would be a, a very good move. And it would be fascinating to see him out there coaching on that landscape at the same time as Saban again and all those other guys that are out there right now. So I'm going to say reality. We'll see what happens. But that's where I stand. I'm going to say yeah, I'm going to say fantasy. I'm I'm going to say that 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 school is not. I know it sounds crazy, not big enough for Urban Meyer. I know that wow. sounds wild, but really? I don't think so. Yep, I I think Urban Meyer is going to wait for Notre Dame, whatever that is, and I think that he's going to be the head coach of Notre Dame. Two years, three years, they're 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 good this year, so it ain't going to happen next year. But whenever Notre Dame's job opens up again, that's when Urban Meyer is going to be the coach. I think he stays mm. in box until then. We'll be back with some Sports Grid 60 talk as we end the show. So stay tuned. We'll be back in two minutes. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Make sure you stay tuned to our show tomorrow as we'll have Howard Bender from Wager Alarm to review all of our picks in the Westgate Super Contest. In addition to that, Jim Sanis joins us with a little DFS preview for the upcoming week. Before we go, let's turn it over to Joe Pizzapia as he's got the Sports Grid 60. Joe? Well, Craig, the Steelers are undefeated, and they deserve a lot of credit. Defense has played well. Roethlisberger's played well. But I'm starting to question how good the Steelers actually are. They won two squeaker games with the Baltimore Ravens. They won another squeaker game with Tennessee, which really at the end could have gone either way. And then looking back, now that we have perspective on who some of these teams are now, that we're in week 13 of the NFL, they beat... Well, the Giants, the Broncos, they beat the Houston Texans who went on to fire their coach the next week there. They beat the Eagles, and I think we all know who the Eagles are right now. They also beat the Cleveland Browns who are 8-3, and so maybe that's one we put a feather in their cap. But the Cowboys, the Bengals, the Jaguars, I don't know. I'm starting to wonder about the Pittsburgh Steelers and just how good this undefeated record really is because I've watched a lot of Kansas City in the last few weeks and a lot of Pittsburgh the last few weeks. And I see one team at the very top, and it's not the team that's undefeated. I understand the defense is good, but losing Bud Dupree is a huge loss for the rest of the season for this pass rush, which has been absolutely dominant. Watt's been there all year doing great work, but part of the reason he's doing great work is because you had to worry about Dupree coming from the other side. Now when you can focus on Watt, how does that change things? Deontay Johnson, you got to catch the ball a little bit. What is the run game for the Pittsburgh Steelers? There's a lot of questions here with this undefeated team. But I don't know if they're quite as good as their record says. I thought you were going to say the Jets were better, but you stopped short there. So that was good. I stopped short. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, look, I don't know what happened with, with baseball yesterday. And, and I'm supposed to know what is happening with baseball because I was told a week or two ago it was going to be insane. There was going to be all these players that were going to get cut. Baseball's in trouble. They're not making any money. Owners don't want to pay anybody. I mean, all I've seen this offseason is some pretty good pitcher contracts be given out to some pretty good players and a lot of teams essentially tendering their players. So maybe this offseason in baseball won't be nearly as bad as we thought. Maybe. Thanks again to LTN and, of course, Brett, Joe, Danny, and Ryan. We'll see you tomorrow.